Hi, my loves. This is Yahura Wenji, and I want to thank you guys for tuning in to my podcast, A Roll Call Freedom. Tonight's guest will ignite you, incite you, and help you think about your relationship, especially with your mother. If you're new to my platform, you may not know that my name means freedom and abundance, and I seek to give you tools and information to transform your life, opportunities for self-discovery in your own lane on this road called freedom. On last week's show, we kicked off the season with Ray Williams from Owns Ready to Love and Dr. LaShonda Jones talking about the topic, not just the baby's daddy. Thank you to everyone who was in the comment section, everyone who shared the video and liked the Road Call Freedom page. I appreciate you, love you. And on tonight's show, I'm going to have two special guests join me. Influencer and personality, Sheree Young, along with community psychologist and life coach, Dr. Bernada Baker. Together, we are talking about how to repair, resolve, and forgive within the mother-daughter relationship, especially watching your mother give affection, time, and attention to someone else while ignoring or overly criticizing you. I cannot wait to get into this topic with you guys and tonight's guest. But before we do, it's time for Evening Espresso. So last week I explained what Evening Espresso is, but if you missed out, I want to explain it again. Evening Espresso is the afternoon and evening version of my morning mocha for those of you who followed me for some time. It is an inspirational theme based on a quote from the scripture and I explain it to make it applicable to your life. Today's uh, Evening Espresso comes from Deuteronomy 31 and 8. And the Lord, he is that doeth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. Let me encourage you that the very fact that you are alive, you should know that God can do anything, that you are walking, talking, creative expression of how much he loves you, that the fact that he created us to live inside our mother's womb and then birthed, birthed us out of her womb and we're living and we're alive and we're lively people ought to show that he's for you, that he's already planned your life, that he's already set things in order. So know how much God loves you and how much he's with you. Now we're going to move to the fun part of the show where I give you guys your humorous question of the week. Well, guys, I also want you to get into the comment section and express what you think about the question of the week and answer. The hot topic today is, should a woman date her current friend's ex, even if they became friends after the breakup? Again, let me reiterate that to you. Should a woman date her current friend's ex, even if they became friends after her and the guy broke up. Let me hear your thoughts. Get in the comment, give me some feedback. Um, that's a touchy topic for me. Uh, it's actually some somebody is going through that right now. Um, it depends to me on the boundaries that you set in your relationships. 
and for yourself. Um, I don't cross those lines. Um, I don't intentionally cross those lines, right? That's just my personal preference for this. But hey, to each his own. I can't wait to have my guests answer this very question along with some other things later in the show. But first, we're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we'll have Sheree Young and Dr. Bernarda Baker. Hey, this is Yehuda Wenji, inviting you to join me wherever you listen to your streaming podcast. Journey with me on this road called freedom, where I invite you into a safe haven. Come and have candid conversations with me with inspirational stories and lessons presented to you by others who will help us identify our lane as we collectively come together on this road called freedom. Welcome back to A Road Called Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Yahura Wenji. Tonight, I will be discussing healing from your mother's wounds. My guests are Sheree Young and Dr. Bernarda Baker. Ladies, please introduce yourselves. Okay, we have uh, Ms. Sheree Young. You guys know her. You're gonna get to know her even greater tonight. I'm honored that we go back 35 plus years, almost 40 years. And it's always a touchy situation when you are bringing your friend to a platform as a guest. And we're talking about topics that may um, touch some hard places that they've been. Uh, Ms. Sheree, I thank you for joining me and trusting me with you on my platform. And also we have Dr. Baker. I've followed her for quite some time. Um, I love the inspiration that she brings to my Facebook timeline. I love her beautiful daughter, <laughs> Miss Bella, who oftentimes take over the show. All the time. Okay. <laughs> I, I love what they bring to the show and to my Facebook timeline and to my life. So I want to go on and ask the, the question of the day and then introduce, have my guests introduce themselves. Uh, Sheree Young, we're going to start with you. Hi, my name is Sheree Young and I am a influencer, personality, um, educator, and um uh, red carpet host, and I'm just all around letting my hands find to do whatever is needed to be doing. There's no no job, big or small or in between, that I can't do. Ask me to do it, I'll get it done. I'll find a way to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> and Hi, I'm Dr. Baker. Hi, I'm Dr. Baker. Um, Dr. Baker, I'm a native of Chicago. I met you in the lovely Houston um, area, and thank you so much for sharing with my story with Bella and just following us on my journey. I am a community psychologist by trade, also a life coach, a pastoral counselor and an educator. Um, so I do a number of things, but it all boils down to 
helping individuals um, birth forth their purpose and just move beyond the obstacles of life um, in an effort to maximize their potential. A lot of the counseling work I do is surrounded, is centered, focused on trauma um, and just the dysfunctional pathologies of life. And we know that we all have some, so. Right. So ladies, whenever I have guests on the show, I like to know what you got on. <laughs> now, not only do I want to want you to tell me what you got on as far as what you're wearing, but I also want to know how it relates to your personality. Dr. B, we're going to go first. <laughs> we talked about the pearls. But so the pearls. As, as we prepare for the inauguration, we know that VP Harris will have on her pearls. Um, so I stand um, proudly as one of her sorority sisters and just I'm excited about having an African-American woman in the seat of vice president. And so everything I do, I feel like I'm wearing my pearls to bed uh, just because that's, a, that's the space where we're in as we prepare for January 20th. The shirt that I have on is a green shirt and it happens mm -hmm. to be my favorite color. Um, and I love green. Green represents healing in the Bible. And um, it's just a vibrant color for me. Um, and it looks good on my skin tone. So it's just my favorite color. <laughs> Just all the way around. You're, you're exuding healing. Exuding healing. <laughs> Miss Ray, what do you have on? Well, to start off with, uh, I have on my blonde wig. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody who knows me know I love wigs. I, I will braid my hair down and put a wig on in a minute. And, and I chose wavy tonight because, you know, sometimes, you know, the winds and the waves will come and we be riding them tight away. Sometimes we don't know. If we're going up coming, but just know if you ride it out to the end, it's going to be all right. And also I'm wearing hoops. Everybody know me? No, I love hoops because I believe everything in Texas is big. I love hoops. So this is what I'm wearing tonight. My wig and my hoops. And we're going to do this thing big. <laughs> ride through storm on Sheree's waves tonight, baby. And we're going to look good just like she does. <laughs> all right. So we're going to get into this interview tonight. Uh, the subject is Mommy Dearest. If you don't know, or if you're maybe too young to remember the movie, Mommy Dearest was a, um, a bi biography uh, by, back then, Joan Crawford was a huge Hollywood star. Let me give my disclaimer to say that my friend's relationship with her mom, just like all of our relationships, especially us uh, melanated young women, um, they go through ups and downs, and sometimes we feel like our mothers especially have given out something to others that we didn't necessarily receive from them. So let me say that her relationship with her mom was not as abusive or toxic as the relationship in the movie title that I chose. But for those of you who may have a more a deeper trauma, deeper emotional issues regarding their relationship with their mom, that's what that's um, suggesting. So I just want to talk about the traumatic and dramatic relationships that we have mm -hmm. with our parents. So Sheree, I would like to talk, I got a chance to sit with you when your mom um, had dementia and it segued to Alzheimer's. Uh, I got a chance to see that ultimately before she transitioned, things were able to be healed. Um, you had peace. Um, you were put in a position that you didn't expect to be in, which is taking care of your mom. Let's go back to the top of uh, her becoming ill. And when you found out you had to take care of your mom, what was that like for you? Let's give the dynamics about where the, what the state of your relationship with your mom was at the time, at that time. 
a lot of people don't know some do the day that my mother had a stroke to the brain because she her her um it all came from strokes the day she had the stroke we weren't talking we hadn't talked in about maybe a month or two we hadn't talked and that's the type of relationship we had it worked for us at least i thought it did that's just she would get upset with me i'd get upset with her and we wouldn't I'm the type of child I was raised. You don't talk back. You don't argue back with your parents. But what I would do, I would just keep my mouth closed and we just wouldn't talk. So that was my way of not disrespecting her. So the day she had the stroke, we weren't talking. And I actually didn't know it was a stroke. So my nephew just happened to be over here. And he called me and he said, um, we turned the computer on and mom fell out. And I was like, fell out. Because, you know, my mom, used, my mom was a drama queen like me. So <laughs> I was like, call 911. Call 911. And I was on the other side of town doing, taking care of some business. And he was like, you're not coming to the house? I said, no, when the ambulance get there, just call and let me know what they said. You know, because that's just the type of nonchalant relationship we had. Not saying I didn't love my mother, because I loved my mother, still love her to this day. But that's just the type of relationship we had. And when I found out that evening, that night, when he called and said, the doctor said she had a stroke, immediately, I put aside everything, rushed to the hospital. I was there. I think I was like, I was one of the first ones to get there out of the kids. My daughter drove down from Dallas the same night because in my heart, I felt like this is my mother. At this point, I'm going to put aside whatever we have going on and be there for her. So, you know, thinking she was going to come home and do good. She came home. Unfortunately, she had another stroke within, I think, within six months time to that. And that's the stroke that took her all the way down to being 100% dependent. I, at that point, I had to make a choice along with my siblings, and I pretty much made the choice, to either um, let her go into a facility or bring her home. So, um, you know, how everything hard was- How hard was that choice? How, how hard was hard, what? How hard was that choice? Was it a it struggle was, for you to make the choice or was it automatic? No, 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 I struggled because you know, you, you, you're looking at your mother riding her bike one day and that night she have a stroke. Cause my mother, you know, she coached all of our life. So she was still in shape, you know, she big bone, but she still rode her bike and exercised and walked and all that. My mother could still outrun me in her seventies, you know, and Dr. B, it let was me pin in right quick. I'm sorry, Sheree. Let me ask Dr. B because I heard a lot of things and you explaining about the dynamics of your relationship with your mom. And then, um, her having a health challenge that now facilitates that somebody is going to have to make a decision about whether they she received that hands-on care from you or whether she goes into a facility. So, Dr. B, you are in the community. You you are um, a licensed psychologist, and correct me if I'm using the wrong uh, title. Um, I'm a community psychologist, so I'm community, community psychologist. psychologist. Um, how? How do, do you see these things often where the child, especially our daughters, have um, an acrimonious relationship with the mother and then we're put into a position uh, to care for them? And it doesn't, the, the relationship, the state of the relationship, let me just put this out there. The state of the relationship does not take away from how we feel about our mother. We love them. And let me say this, this podcast is about bridging a gap between generational understanding. So my mom was kind of similar. She had a very dominant personality. But the key thing I want to highlight, especially on this show, is my mom um, 
And Ray's mom was raised and came of age in a generation in the South segregation. So just the era that they were brought up in and the things that they were taught along with um, not feeling safe in the, their own community can bring along a lot of disposition. So is there anything that you want, that you can bring to the table and speak to how we deal with our mothers, how we can have conversations with them, um, the trauma that they don't talk about, because I think it just became real cool for especially Black folk to get um, therapy and stay in counseling. What do you want, what can you add to this particular part of the conversation? So I see a lot of clients who have challenges in their relationships with their mothers. Of course, society focuses more so on boys with their fathers or girls with their fathers. They don't talk about the mothers because of course the mother is the one that carried the child. So you can't dare have a problem with your mom. Like that's not who you're gonna shed the light on. And even if you do have a problem with it, you're not really supposed to talk about it. We haven't normalized talking about the dysfunctional um, relationships that, between mothers and daughters. And it's, it's actually higher than the boys with the fathers. Um, it's just something that goes, that we don't talk about. And when you consider the generational situations that our parents and grandparents and their parents came from you're right they don't talk about it it's it's a conversation that's not to be held held you just wipe it under the rug and keep going move forward however you decide to i think that our generation we believe in therapy we believe in having those critical conversations but i also think that just because you're ready to do your work that doesn't necessarily mean that your parents are ready to do your do their work. Right, right. And when you are ready to confront your trauma, um, that's you. And unfortunately, just because you you woke up one day and decided you wanted to heal, you can't speak for the rest of the people that's a part of that journey. And so I've seen it in a lot of different cases where, you know, the child typically, the daughter, whoever, the daughter typically has to go and search for her own he uh, healing. Um, void of coming together with the with the mother, the parent to do the healing process because they're just not there. And when they are 50, 60, 70, you know, they're just in 80. They're just in a space where those conversations are not being ha uh, had. Not that they don't want to, but I think that because they are so um, stuck in where they came from and their patterns and pathologies that they're just not, they're not open to it. It probably would cause them more pain to dig up all of those situations because it's not so much about what happened with the child it's really more so about what happened with them previously and how they do were you do you think that um um my parent and parents in my age demographic or what you just said 60 70 80 years old um do you think that maybe um that they're just hypersensitive i know i'm i'm, I'm in my 50s and i've given my children permission to critique me as a parent and, and I, I'm learning how to not um, feel like they're saying I'm a bad mother. They're just saying some areas I could have parented or mothered them better, right? Mm -hmm. And so do you think that um, like my mom may have struggled with um, separating um, critique and taking it personal and hearing they're not a bad parent? right? How to divide those two um, things. I think they just did what they've just done what was passed on to them. When you know better, you do better. And if that wasn't modeled for them, of course, we have so many more resources now. And today, you know, uh, therapy is a thing today. Back in the day, they were just happy to take care of their children and to feed them. 
Um, and I know my grandmother, I believe she had, it was 11 of them. So, you know, they were just happy to be alive, picking cotton in Mississippi and this, that, and the other. So family is the focal point. We're going to have our issues, but we're going to move forward. And we're not talking about nothing. We're just going to love them anyway. What would Jesus do? You know, all of the, all of that stuff. And so I just think that they they do what they've been taught. And, be, you know, they got senior privilege. Because of who they are, you're not going to question them, <laughs> nor are you really going to challenge them to a certain extent. Um, and you're not going to pull up, you know, you're not going to call them out and force them to confront their issues because they, they, they're probably going to end up taking those issues to the grave. And I don't support it. I think we all need, I think we, as a, as a community, I think we all need to be in family therapy, group therapy, where we can actually have these conversations about situations. As, and just to deviate um, really quick, I was watching Iyala Fix My Life and I was watching the Pace Sisters. And one of the Pace Sisters just died. I think she might've been 62, 65 or something mm-hmm. like that. But she had been holding on to a secret for so long. And it wasn't until they came together and they were able to release that and move away from that. Now, their mother is gone on the glory. And I'm sure all of these issues was present, you know, before, before she left this earth. But again, if, if the elders, if our mothers and their grandma and grandmothers and whoever, the elders of our generation, if they don't provide us with a safe space where we're open to talk about those issues, we just get shut down and you just have to move forward. And I, I've learned or I teach, I work with my clients in um, breaking and healing generational curses and breaking generational um, curses for the next generation. You might not be able to go back and undo what was done to you, but you can definitely forge a new path going forward. Absolutely. I want to take a few seconds to get into some of the comment sections really quick. Thank you, Riata Justice, Tira Pete, Jazzy Black, Kay McCray, Daphne Hampton, Randy Parker, Parker, and others for watching. A lot of the people in the comment section say they agree with what we're talking about and that this is a truly needed conversation. So again, I want to thank you ladies for being on and sharing your experiences. Um, And well, the ladies, my guests, I want to thank them for being on to talk about it. So ladies, can we can't talk about the mother-daughter issues without talking about woman-to-woman issues. So the question of the week is, should a woman date her current friend's ex, even if they became friends after the breakup? What do y'all think about that? No. That should it's always a, be off limits. No. It's a hard, it's a hard no. So, okay, so let me bring clarity. Say I just met Dr. B today. We just met today. We clicked, well, let's say three weeks ago, and we're clicking. We have, we're formed a bond. We have a relationship. And I meet her ex from a different situation, in a different setting. And I find out through she and I communicating that that's her ex. Should I date him? <laughs> I, I personally, I've had this situation happen to me. Um, I did. I, I had it happen to me. And uh, because of my, my friend gave me permission to date her ex. And I was just like, no, that's not going to work because of my loyalty and my allegiance to you and our sisterhood. I'm not dating him. Um, and even though she gave us both our blessings, she was like, you all are in a new city. If you all can find love, go ahead and do it. I just think it depends on your integrity and your character and you do unto people how you would want them to do unto you. So it's a no. It's all limits. Absolutely. My friend Ray, what you think? 
It's a no for me too. I've been in that position before and I said no. And my situation was, I think what you said, um, I was friends with this for actually this, this, this female and I weren't friends anymore. And when I met this guy, actually I met him on a dating site. <laughs> Let's be clear. And when we started talking, we started just finding out that we knew certain people that grew up in the same area in Cedric Woods. And then her name came up and he told me he dated her once before. And I was like, really? You know, even though she and I weren't friends anymore, it was still a no for me. I actually told him, you know, I don't think we should even be friends because I didn't want him to, you know, still be trying to whisper down my ear. Hey, you know, we, mm -mm. it was just a no. I just I'm, like she said, loyalty, even though you're not friends with a person anymore. But you remember that sisterhood that you once had with that person. It's such a small world. It's just such a small world. And those situations come up current and otherwise. So I wanted to put that on the table, um, give some clarity. I want to jump back into the conversation because, like I said, uh, with Sheree, I know how her situation ended. And I love the fact, let, let me just jump into it. They they were Their relationship was healed and became, came to a place of wholeness through her nurturing her mom i i i don't want to speak for her so i'll let her tell you how her view shifted and how her internal work was changed during um caring for her mom and then she shared um dr b you and sheree have things in common she shared the process of her mama going through alzheimer's which was a taboo because we were taught that we don't put our mom and unhealthy issues, you know, a certain way out there. And I know she, my friend caught a lot of slack for showing how to get through to someone who has Alzheimer's. You know, she put it out there. Uh, it helped a lot of people, especially in our community, because I knew other families who were keeping the fact that their parent had Alzheimer's. It was like um, they were ashamed of it. And like with Bella, you know, we don't talk about, uh, especially single black women adopting children and opting to become a single parent. We, we, it seems like being a single parent, we're talked down on. So, you know, you're putting your um, private matter out in the public for us to follow and, and see what it's like to be a mom coming of age, um, having her own fun life, and then giving up a portion of that to share it with someone else. So, Mr. Ray, let's just jump back into your story. Bring us to you moved into your with your mom and you're taking care of her. What inspired you to put y'all's journey on social media? Well, because when I when I had to start taking care of her, I didn't know anything about Alzheimer's. Nothing. I had to research. I had nobody to go to. Um, I had to do a whole lot of research and I had to do a whole lot of looking at videos, YouTube videos. I had to jump right in it. We're talking about the hospital calling me one day telling me we're releasing her into hospice right now. She needs to be at a facility that takes care of hospice. So you're telling me last week or two weeks ago, my mom was okay. Two weeks later, she has to go into hospice. So I, I remember being at work. I went and closed the door. I fell on my knees and I prayed and I said, God, you are going to have to fix this because I don't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. You know, then getting her, her insurance together. Then some places didn't take the insurance and and, you know, because that is a what they call a like a specialty or whatever. And it's like on her insurance, it didn't cover her being in Alzheimer's with um, with, with dementia. So here we go. We, we're having another problem. The only places I was finding at that particular time and we're talking about in 2015 
was no less than like $3,200, $3,400 a month for her to be at a facility. And that's paying out of pocket. So I had to go revisit my finances, revisit her finances, talk with my siblings, say, this is what we're going to do. It was a fast process, but I promise you, God was with me because I prayed every day. Every day I prayed. I want to tell people there is nothing that God would not see you through. This process almost broke me, but I was able to go through it. Let me fast forward. She stayed there about a year and a half and they called and told me she only probably had about six weeks to live. And you remember this. And I said, you know what? I'm bringing her home to a familiar place, to a familiar place, because I, by this time I had learned so much about Alzheimer's. I mean, I was on the, um, working with the Alzheimer's um, Association here in Houston. So I knew a whole lot about it. And I knew once you bring them home and bring them around familiar people, familiar settings, and I would drive her over to Cynicwood, drive her over to Forest Brook, the places that she worked at. She would remember those things, but she couldn't, she didn't remember anything short term. She didn't even remember me a whole lot of days. And you know that, Kim. She would call me her niece that lives in California. It was a lot of days she didn't remember me. So I'm fast forward again. Brought her home to a familiar area. She outlived another year, I think another year and a few months. So tell me when they say six weeks and God says something else, I listened to the voice of God and I did what God uh, told me to do. And in that process of me bringing my mother home, I never knew I was going to have to parent my parent. Never knew I was going to have to change my mother's diapers. Never knew I was going to have to spoon feed her. We don't feel we're going to do those are things they did to us. But when I did that, a healing came. I had already forgiven because I told God, I said, God, I don't want to do this and not do it wholeheartedly and not do it holding any grudges, you know, because being molested as a child, not being protected, you still have those thoughts. You still have those. Um, those are triggers, you know, so I was I, I went through some trauma, but I released it all in a way that it did not affect my relationship with my mother because I wanted us to heal. And that's what happened. We were able to heal through her illness. And it was a beautiful thing. Let me bring back into this portion something Dr. B said um, earlier. Uh, I hope you don't mind me calling you Dr. B. I just oh no, that's fine. Uh, um, she said earlier in her comments how uh, it's your process to heal. So it sounds like you said in your story you took charge, you released forgiveness, and you worked on healing, even though your mind wasn't cognizant most days of who you were. So you took the steps. And so let me just highlight that for those that are listening. If you have a parent that may not be hearing you, especially mother-daughter relationships, they may not be hearing your hug. They may not be open to hearing how you feel about them and their parenting skills or the areas that they have legitimately hurt you. Uh, Dr. B, can you give us some pointers right in there about how they take control. Um, Sheree spoke about uh, getting over being molested as a child, you know, so that's trauma in and of itself. And, and then life issues come up and life challenges. And, and so relationship trauma that you experience being married or uh, in um, uh, male-female relationships, romantic relationships and such. And then you get here to a place where you want to heal. What do you suggest that a daughter does if her mom's ears are not open to hearing where she is and the hurt that she's carrying. What do you do to, to speak to the daughters who need to see, hear what they can do to heal themselves, what that looks like? Well, Sheree, first of all, I want to um, 
commend you for the work that you did and the task that you took under because that was definitely a huge task and definitely honorable. Thank you. Thank um, you. And you know, the Bible teaches us that, you know, we are, we are to, it instructs us to do unto others as, as we would have them to do unto us. And it also tells us to honor thy mother and thy father so that your That's days right. will be long. Um, there's a quote that says something to the fact of sometimes you have to accept the, the apology that you'll never get. And I think that goes for mothers, daughters, and you know, people across the nation that oftentimes you have to find it in your heart to release the people and the circumstances that impacted you, um, whether that person has already gone on to the graveside or wherever they head on to, or if they, you know, you've just cut them off altogether. The real healing work starts in your heart. And so the more you release it, the, the kinder you can be to them. So Sheree, had you not released that, you wouldn't have been able to take on those tasks and to tend to her in the manner in which you did. And so you know that you are healed when you can talk about a situation and it no longer rubs you the wrong way or it no longer triggers you or you can just blow it off, right, your nose, right. blow it off your back or you can um, highlight it and you show gratitude for the experience because we all have something that we have grown through um, and that it's, it's cultivated our character and it's made us a better person. And so my biggest, um, my biggest point that I make in regards to healing and forgiveness is just finding it in your heart to accept the apology that you will never get because nine times out of 10, there are a lot of folks that have done us wrong and they are not going to render a, an apology. And I don't know about y'all, but I've been black my whole life. And in the black African-American family, we are, we are notorious for just uh, sweeping it under the rug and picking up right where we left off and, like nothing ever act, happened. and acting like that wasn't a whole seven year gap or a six month gap or whatever that gap was like it just never happened so we all walking around here with the elephant in the room playing crazy carrying the heartache and the pain and the folks that need to apologize they never do um and so in situations like that i always advise my 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 um clients to take control of the wheel and go seek out your own healing. Um, figure out what it is you need to do in order to burn what, is what has harmed your heart and to release it into the sea of forgetfulness so that you can move forward um, and forgive those people. Because the one thing about forgiveness is you might've been traumatized by, but you better rest assured that the people that did it or that allowed it to happen to you, they never forgot what happened, especially when it happened on their watch. So you don't have to remind the people about what they did. My grandmother, before she passed, her favorite scripture was, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Whatsoever you do, God shall repay. So you don't even have to go through trying to get people back and trying to, you know, you, you just continue moving forward. And that's when you know that your healing has really kicked in because you're able to move forward, just like Sheree was able to do with her mother. Oh, Dr. B, you have me doing the church girl rock. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you got on your cape, so you dress for the occasion. Let me get the, the minister of music to cue up some music. <laughs> I'm trying not to clutch my pearls tonight. Oh my God. You know, I told him I wasn't going to do the bobblehead uh, this week. Uh, once again, in the comment section, Jackie Black said, There is no manual to parenting. We do the best we can, and that character is the key. And thank you, Karen and Lawanda Garner, for joining the conversation. I appreciate everybody who's uh, sharing the platform. Right now, we're going to take another break. But when we come back, we're going to introduce my favorite segment called Girl F Them Kids. You've got to tune in to find out what the F means. <laughs> 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 
Hey guys, it's your boy Zay, the best ex that you could ever want around. And I want you to tune in to my show, Legends Speak, on Wednesdays on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you listen to for your podcast platform, I'll be there. Legends Speak. What is Legends Speak? I'm glad that you asked. This is a platform where I invite people who I consider legends and I interview them about their professional career and just get details about how they were able to be so successful while fighting mental health issues. So if you're interested, which I know that you are, tune in to Legends Speak with your boy Zay, the best ex that you could ever want around. Welcome back to Roll Call Freedom Podcast. I am your host, Yuhura Wenji. Don't forget that means freedom and abundance. I'm bringing you information to set your soul free and help you discover your lane. I am sitting with Sheree Young and Dr. Bernada Baker. Now, before the break, I told you we would introduce a new segment called Girl F Them Kids. <laughs> <laughs> is is really giving you tools and practical points to favor your children enough. See, I know y'all thought I was cussing. The chaplain is cussing on live. Nope. Favor your kids enough. I'm going to ask our guests to give us mommy moment points uh, to say, because we, we carry a lot of guilt when it comes to our kids. When we take time out, we feel guilty for taking moments to ourselves. Uh, favor your children enough to take moments to yourself and become whole, to relax without guilt. So Dr. B, would you give us a few pointers on how to, for two segments, the mothers that are parenting small children like my Bella, energetic. Hi. I see you get your breaks though, because you'd be like, help that Bella. <laughs> her enough to get some time away from her and do self care so, so i am i am the queen of self-care as a matter of fact the first year i became a mother i i started spending mother's day in los cobos okay so i said every year for mother's day i'm going to los cobos i don't need to stick around here y'all don't need to give me flowers and cards send me somewhere on the beach and give me a break um and so some people were like how you gonna be away from bella for mother's day let me show you let me i invite you to watch me as i leave for mother's day that's how i'm gonna be away and so i invite mothers to be special i mean to be selfish because as you know as a parent um you know you you sacrifice your all your resources your time your mental space your personal life every aspect every decision that i'm making today is is centered around what's best for bella and so I just invite and encourage mothers to make sure that you, even in the midst of being an amazing mother, that you are considering what's in your best interest as well, because just like everybody else around here matters, mothers matters as well. And you need a mental health break without the guilt of mm -hmm. wondering. Unapologetically. There you go. Mr. Ray, since you have adult children, I invite you to give us pointers how to have uh, breaks from your adult children without feeling guilty about them pulling on you? How do you separate you as an individual woman parenting adult children? Because that's a whole nother animal. Well, actually, to be honest with you, my kids don't pull on me, but, but when I feel that I need some me time, because even though they're grown, you still need some me time sometimes. Yes. I'll, I'll text instead of picking up the phone and calling, you know, and stuff like that. But for me, I don't, and, and my, ki my kids don't live in the same city, so they're not really pulling it. They don't, we don't talk to each other 
every day, all day, like we used to. So, and I, you know what I'm going to say this? And I think that is for me time by pulling back and I talk, because I used to call my daughter all during the day, every morning and stuff. So we don't do that like we used to do because she needs mommy time as well. And I need, I, I just need some time all the way across the board. So even as adults, you have to learn how to have some me time and pull back. Now that son of mine, it's a whole different story. <laughs> Those boys are different. I, so I have five. I'm a mother of five, all adults from 27 to 35, right? And so I you look anyway, great, honey. You look great. Thank you. <laughs> Why? Well, uh, see, you know, I'm a fabulous mom. You are. Mom, you know what I mean? I'm trying to get a whole life out here in these streets that has nothing to do with them. So, you know. I, me and my children are super close. We have a group text and we text from 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. It's going off all the way till the sun go down, right? And we do call each other almost all day, every day about stuff. And so I had to learn. <laughs> uh, we do. We just, just that's what we do. And it's, can you imagine? And so I had to learn that it's okay for me to tell my adult children no you know, mama, can you babysit? Or, you know, I'll take this, take uh, take it a step further. Uh, I'm a little stern. I have this look I can give my grandkids. And I have nine grandkids. And like once a month before pandemic, we would get out and we would all go to um, dinner or lunch or brunch together. So that's a whole production. And when the kids were um, doing things that they know that they might can get away with their moms, they said, Mom, look, did you see what they did? And I started saying, your kids acting up, what you going to do? I would be sipping on a nice little Mai Tai while them kids acting up, get y'all kids. That, that's me. That was my way of saying, I'm a grandmother. My grandchildren are not my responsibility to parent. I'm the fun parent. You know, when you come to Mimi house, y'all don't tell me what they can and can't do over here. Now, we're not going to violate your rules, not all of them. But y'all, <laughs> I'm gonna favor y'all enough to set boundaries over here that's good for me in my life and where I want to go and what I want to do. They still think they're my boss, but hey, that's not my issue. That's theirs. So that's what girl effing kids is about. It's just healthy parenting, uh, learning to be whole. I'm working on my wholeness journey and healing some things. I've also invited my children. Um, to critique me. And some things they say as a parent that I could have did better, it's hard to hear. And, and, mm -hmm. and I'm learning to just take that and um, do like my mom said, you'll catch up to it. You know, uh, sometimes uh, we have to let le legacy take its course. And when they get to a place in their lives, the light bulb will come on. I'm learning to be patient for the light bulb to come on for them, for them to see things from my perspective, meaning how I did things and why I did things for them that they said hurt them. Now they have their own children and they're just kind of seeing where, no, it did. It, I did it for their good, right? Mm -hmm. So we're gonna go back to our second part of the interview. I love that segment. I just, I think I just like saying that out loud. Mm -hmm. I think so too. So you think so too? I enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> if you haven't done so already, please go share this video with others. I also want you to like our page, the Road Car Freedom Podcast. 
And I also want you to continue commenting. We want to hear your feedback. I want to know what you're thinking. So let's just jump back into your show, uh, your story, Ms. Sheree. Um, I watched you be so kind and so tender uh, and so gentle. And, and I'm reminded of um, Diary of a Man, Black Woman, uh, when she was taking care of her husband after he did so many things um, to her. And then when the forgiveness kicked in, how she was gentle and she was kind, you know, she was able to let him go because at that point she had healed enough to know what was best for her. And you do with your mom. Heal. You were when she transitioned, you were able to let her go, knowing that you had gotten through to her. Because I watched her defy what the doctor said. I watched her have conversations with you and call your name and talk about things with you. And the doctor said that she was getting ready to get out of here. They kept playing that for like a year and a half or whatever. And, and she would talk and she would remember things. And I watched how that made you as my friend feel. I watched you, you know, unfortunately I'm having this conversation because I've watched too many of my girlfriends um, have to deal with the trauma of, that their mother brought to their lives over her casket. And now all those things are locked in them. And it felt like that they could never say to their mother what they wanted to say and get from them what they wanted to because she's gone. You know, some things I say to my mom, I say it anyway. You know, if, if God, if she could hear me tell her, I'm real sorry because I caught up to it now. I, I hate how I treated her. I hate my attitude toward her. And yeah, God, she was white. I couldn't see it then because I was 30. And she used to say, baby, I've been your age, but you've never been my age. So be real careful what you say you won't do and how you're going to parent differently than I'm parenting. And baby, listen, I've caught up to a lot of that wisdom. So I find myself in the shower repenting to my mom, saying, God, if she can hear me, tell her it's her earth daughter, Kim. And I'm real sorry. You know, I've caught up to it. And can you forgive me? So let's just come all the way up to months before she's transitioned and what your relationship with her was like. Well, when she started transitioning, um, like I say, I, our relationship was already healed. Um, I was still, you know, still believing God that she would she would pull through because, you know, every time they say she's, she's not going to pull through, she pulled through. But at some point I started feeling uh, a peace over me. And I know that was God giving me peace because I knew this time it kind of felt different. This time I was like, OK, this is really it. This is really it. And you remember that Tuesday when I called you? I said they called me from work, told me to come on to the house. The nurse is there. You came out to meet me here at the house. And when I walked in and when I saw her and, and they were like, don't give her any more food, don't give her anything else to drink. Now's the time she's transitioning. And at that moment, I think I went upstairs and went to the bathroom and I said, Lord, I thank you for this journey. I thank you that you allowed me to heal. I thank you that you're taking her at a time that I know where she's going because she's healed. I, I, know, I know she was healed because I was healed. And it's like our maybe two or three weeks before she passed, her talking was different with me, you know, and I would always get in the bed with her and sing with her and stuff. And it's just, we, we were just, she would get upset with me. She wouldn't cuss at me or none of that kind of stuff. So I knew that it was a change. It was a shifting. So I knew something was, 
something differently was happening. So I just thank God that he gave me the peace and he healed me and he healed her. And like I said uh, previously, and I'm gonna say to everybody else, if you have an odd against your parents, like um, Dr. Baker said, they're not gonna say, I'm sorry, because our parents just don't do that. Some do, some don't. Now I'm a parent, I can go to my kids and say, I'm sorry, I didn't do this right. Or when you were younger, I should have done things differently. I tell people now, my son, and I know people tell me, nah, that's not your fault. I don't take full responsibility of him being in jail, but I do take some responsibility of not being there when I should have been there. As parents, we don't want to take responsibilities. And that's what my mom didn't do. She never took responsibility. And I knew the type of anger and resentment that I walked around with. And I don't want my children to walk around with that. So what I do, I give apologies and I give them a reason why I did what I did. You know, and, and, and apologize with it. I don't sweep things up under the rug like it never happened because that's what happened to me. And I don't want to do that in my kids' lives. So there's a saying that I, um, I don't particularly like where it says hurt people hurt people. I, I know that that's some truth and I comprehend what, what people are saying, but you were hurt by your mom and you may have started out hurting your children, but the the awareness came and you stopped that behavior. So I do know that hurt people can become aware of themselves. So I say hurt people who don't want to be accountable for how they are hurt people, right? Um, I think that's a great point that you made, um, but hurt people do hurt people. And so sometimes I don't, you know, I think you, if you want to get the healing that you need, if you want to apologize, that's just a choice that you have to mentally make. And then you have yes, to yes. People make decisions to not acknowledge or to not take accountability for whatever it is that they have done. That is a conscious decision because nine times out of 10, it's not that they are unaware of what has happened. And so you're right. Hurt people hurt people because they neglect or they refuse to take accountability for whatever, whatever hurt or trauma that they have inflicted upon other people. And it's easier to hurt you or to hurt somebody else than it is for me to be still and to be honest and transparent and humble um, with myself and to do my own work and to come full, you know, face to face with my own flaws and my own faults. So it's easier for me to hurt you than it is for me to go back and look at my own stuff. So hurt people do hurt people and they might do it with great intention. I, you know, I knew I had you on the show. I knew God said for you to be on the show. You said that so well, because that, that, and that's what I'm saying that, um, you so know, I, I wanted to that, say to you, like, you damn right. Hurt people hurt people. They do. <laughs> yeah, I, they do. But I'm just saying that it just so many times we hear that and it's so overly used that it feels like it's a cop out and they use it as an excuse for their behavior versus an excuse to get better and do the internal work. Because I feel like, shoot. It, the, the process of growing for me was painful because who wants to admit that you're a trifling girl and what you did, like you were absolutely wrong. Like, you know, I caught myself doing something uh, like with my mom. It was a, a litter of us too. <laughs> and I have a litter. I got five kids. That's a, that's a whole lot of kids. And um, I, I caught myself when I would get, when, when one of my children would offend me, I go tell, so I have, all my children say that they are mama's babies, but there is an ultimate mama's baby. And if I tell her anything, she, you know, I can send her to fight the rest of the kid, like sick them. 
And she gonna say something that I wanna say, but that, you know, that's just, so I learned to not do that because my, my mom used to do that. And I, I'm not gonna say it was intentional because for me, it wasn't intentional. God got my attention to what it felt like to have a disagreement with my mom and all my siblings know about the this disagreement, but it was painted in a way to make it seem like she was right and I was just a really disrespectful child. And that injured me in such a manner that in my 50s, I'm just really getting the tools to recover from it. You know what I mean? I'm just now getting the tools to address who I am, why I am, and to address the lie about how I am to myself, right? And that it's been a 10-year process. My mom died um, this year in April, it will be 10 years. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, God told me it's going to be hard, but you got to get that together, man. You're going to have to get your attitude, your personality. I need you to serve. So even this podcast and having these conversations for me have been a 10 year journey, you know, and I, I was told how you should do it. And I had to discover my own lane of what freedom looks like to me and I have a healthy relationship with my mom. I know she's deceased, but I have a healthy relationship with her because I still commune, I still talk, I still discover parts of me that are just like her and I'm working on it and fixing it. And I have to say, you know, my kids can't handle my view. My relationship with my children is not their responsibility. Uh, it's not the other children's responsibility to manage my relationship with them. Just like it is not my responsibility to manage their relationship with each other because I'm a parent and they are siblings and those relationships are different, right? Mm-hmm. Dr. B, I want to talk about um, your process and getting Miss Bella. I, I met um, Dr. B at an event at Gallery Furniture. Actually, I met Bella. <laughs> right. Everybody meets Bella. I'm just Mind my own business. And this toddler, I think she was maybe two at the time. And she sat next to me. She was well spoken, <laughs> articulate. Um, she served me because she went and got like my um utensils. Um uh she spoke up for me um because they didn't I didn't get chili or something. She didn't realize I didn't eat meat and she was going to order my chili, right? And she sat next to me the whole time. And I was like, huh, I, I have good energy if this baby is here. And she's not. and then I, I um connected with you on Facebook and read your story. I'm going, listen, baby. My mom gave me good advice when she said, if you're gonna have them babies, you better pop them all out now while you're young. So when you get younger, <laughs> they'll be grown and gone. Honey, how'd you make that turn that corner to a doctor? I am too old to be walking around here with a a toddler. Okay. Well, I didn't want to call you old. (laughs) My nerves, my nerves is bad. My patience is short. I'm sleeping. Say it again. Did you want to have children? Oh, so you know what? Probably not. Um, probably not. <laughs> our kids were um, I thought they were expensive. And I had I was living a very <laughs> great life. I mean, I was a jet setter. I was out of here. I could jump on the plane in the blink of an eye. All my money was my money. 
So kids to me was kind of like, if you would have caught me back in my 20s, my early 20s when I came out of college, I just wanted to be a soccer mom. But as I got into my career and my degrees and all that, that kind of just changed and I kind of became selfish with my own life. So I could have went either way. The one thing that I didn't want to have, I knew that I didn't want to give birth because I don't like anything medical. So I knew that me having to go to the hospital in pain and all that, that wasn't going to work for me. And so I would always, I would, my sister would always be like, you're going to have to get a surrogate. Did you look for a surrogate yet? You could be like Beyonce or whatever. And so I, I, if I had kids, I knew that I wasn't going to carry them. I wasn't going to deliver um, So the journey of adopting Bella, I was helping out a family. I raised the money on social media. I was like, she's cute. Let me drop off these items. God bless you all. <laughs> Take care. And that was supposed to have been the extent of it. Um, she didn't have, her biological mother had left her a month after she was born. When I met them, she was eight months old. Um, dad didn't have the resources to really tend to her and he didn't have any next of kin and he had a background. So if anything would have happened to him, she would have went into the system. And having been the founder of the Princess Within Foundation for the past 15 years at the time, I was just like, okay, God, if this is an opportunity for me to save a life of a little princess, then I don't want the blood to be on my hands because I was selfish and was like, no, nah, I got a life to live. I got flights to catch, trips to take. And, and I had worked so hard to plan my life out. I wasn't planning to become a single mother. It just did not fit the, the picture of my life that I had imagined. And so, um, but I think it's just a story of when God calls you to do something, that obedience is far greater than sacrifice. And so my obedience has yielded a very fiery, um, articulate, soon to be four-year-old um, known as Bella Sky. So she has been my greatest unexpected blessing. Um, I think I've done a relatively decent job of uh, mommyhood, mothering. There were many days, though, that I felt like I was failing in life because I was used to being a go-getter, a mover, and a shaker. I was used to being able to plan a conference, fly across the country, write a book. And then when I became a mother, I was like, I can't stay up past 8.30 and this baby is crying all night. Like, I can't do nothing. And this, I got to be failing at life. Um, and it was no book I could go read about it. It was just a life experience that I had to grow through, so... That's where Let's talk about parenting styles, because I know, do you get a lot of flack from especially the African-American community? Because uh, I know I did, because I parent differently. Me and my kids, we would have weekly meetings where they got to critique me as a parent when they were coming up. You know, if I made a decision, they, they could say it wasn't fair. You know, I remember one of my daughters called herself running away, and I, I made a report and went to bed. You understand me? Like the same thing. <laughs> gonna take care of her. I went to bed. You understand? So I was kind of, um, for my set of women, I was kind of an outside the box parent, yeah. parenter. Like, I don't, my kids don't have to say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Like, just like, they can't call me Kim or nothing, but you know, <laughs> you know, you know, they, they are respectful within their rights. They honor me. And so I see that you parent Bella very different than the African-American community gives you um, the rights to, because, you know, Bella is... I'm glad that you mentioned that because I do, I do parent uh, Bella very differently. Um, I am a very open parent. Um, I have a lot of conversations with Bella. I am non-traditional. I don't allow myself or anybody else to put me in a box. 
And Bella and I, we have been on our road to freedom. So we're going to do whatever we want to do, when we want to do it, and how we want to do it. And we dare anybody to tell us how we should be doing it. So early on, of course, because because our journey had been so public, even if I would have wanted to have kept it private, we were in the news from day one. I mean, we were in the news when Paul Wall came to my job unknowingly and surprised me with a donation Um you know, for the adoption. And so it just made sense for me to continue on in the public eye because so many people have been following Bella's journey. Um, you know, we were, well, you don't may not know, but we were featured in the Essence magazine. We were on WGN News in Chicago, KHOU in Houston. We were, um, I was featured, I was honored by the Weather Channel. So our life had been public. Um, Bella's a different kind of child. She, it, even though I didn't give birth to her, she has my spirit, she has my energy, she has my attitude, my charisma, and all of that. And so I probably do let her get away with more than what I would have ever gotten away with in my as a child. And it's okay. Right. It's not what I'm the, the environment that I'm cultivating with the environment that I'm cultivating with Bella is an environment where she can be free to express herself. Um, I want her to learn all that she needs to learn about the art of negotiation, having critical conversations, standing tall for what she believes, uh, being able to defend herself. And if I have to be the person that she practices that on, I'm okay with that because I know that when she gets out here in the real world, she'll be fully equipped. So I think it's about um, about perception and what, what you're hoping to curate. So people who have commentary about how I let bear, you know, how I parent Bella, they, they might not necessarily be working with the same ingredients that I'm working because I might be cooking up a different kind of treat. Um, and so I take full responsibility for how I parent Bella. I'm proud of it. I stand, she's an amazing three-year-old. Um, you don't meet a whole lot like her. And it's, um, it's because of what I've curated and cultivated in her. And it's because of the space that I give her to be who she is. Um, and so I'm proud of the manner in which I parent. And I know it's unorthodox. I know it's out of the box. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that I have the confidence and the courage to be able to put our story out there and to allow others to follow along, to follow our journey, just to sit back and see. Um, at this point, Bella probably could parent herself. I just pay the bills. Um, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Gray, you are a different Mimi. Like I've watched things you do on social media with your granddaughters. And so for me, you are an outside of the box grandparent. Like you're still vibrant, you're youthful. You have a huge persona, a huge public in, uh, image. You are um, a social media influence. So how do you balance that with, um, you know, uh, were your grandkids initially uncomfortable with you being their Mimi? Or were you always like the cool Mimi to them? You know, how did they feel about you being so present on social media? And, and then putting inviting them into your social media world? Because that's a delicate balance. Like, you know, People feel like that because your grandkids are on social media with you, they have the right to say certain things about your grandkids. How do you balance that? Uh, you know what? When I'm around them, I think I balance it because I, I include them in what I'm doing as far as social media. You know, like we was on the news doing TikToks featuring, you know, grandmother with her grandkids on TikTok. Um, they like being they like being featured. Um, the oldest one. She don't too much, you know, because she's older. She, she got her own Snapchat and all this. I'll be like, girl, get on in here. Get in this video with me. So it's fun and I make it fun. And um, 
I don't do a whole lot of fussing with them. I'm like, like, like Dr. Baker. I'm just out of the box when it comes down to them. And my daughter gives me rules and regulations when they come and stay here with me in the summertime. But like you said, I don't, all the rules and regulations, I don't, I don't follow. She'll call. I, I want them in the bed by a certain time. I'll be like, okay, hang up the phone. You know, they don't go to bed right then. Because guess what? I got to get up early the next morning and fix breakfast. So if I'm not getting up at seven or eight o'clock, they not either. <laughs> so it's been, um, I mean, they like it. They like it. Now the middle one, um, my daughter told me she had to tell her, stop going to school, telling people that I'm famous. Cause because they saw me, they see me on YouTube and she'll say, you know, my Mimi is famous. I said, no, nah, don't tell her, do not tell people that because what will happen is people will start, um, seeing them in different places and start saying things to them. Or if they see something that I do that they don't approve of, because we see it all the time on social media. If somebody does a video and you don't like it, you see one of the family members, you're going to say something ugly or something ugly may be said. And we don't want that for them, but they're included. And I balance it very well. If it's a video, I feel they shouldn't be a part of, I don't do it. But what I, what I also do like during Christmas, I, I include, I create videos that they can be a part of. Like we did family night. We did the whole, the nacho thing put the nachos all over the countertop and each one, you know, had their own type of nachos on, on own type of um, dressing that they wanted on the top of the nachos. So that was kind of fun. So I create family uh, functions and we stream it live. So that's how I do when I'm with them. And that's, that's just a good, great balance with me. Did she freeze or did we freeze? No, I think she froze. Okay. <laughs> she over there looking like she in a prayer posture. <laughs> I think she froze. She might have to go out and come back in. You think we should leave and come back in? Well, she's at the she's at the studio, so I don't know. I just sent her a text. Oh, there. Oh, it there they go. It was something. It was something on their end. We can't hear you. Okay, can you hear them now? Yes. Oh, great. You know, technical difficulties. I don't look like what I've just been through, girl, to be frozen in time, you know. I want to. Thank you. 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 Th
Thank you so much. I wanted to thank you ladies so very much for coming on a new platform, trusting me with your brand. I want to thank you, my friend, for trusting me with your story uh, and not probing too deep, but I, I appreciate you so much for sharing your story with me. Dr. B, I thank you for coming on as a guest. I knew you would be a fun interview. I so love Bella. Tell my audience where they can find you. You guys go follow them. Um, Sheree may be uh, at the top of her limit with friend requests, but follow them. I promise you, your life will be blessed. <laughs> go follow them. You can follow me on Facebook at uh, Bernada Nicole, and you can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Bernada Nicole. Bernada is spelled B E R N A D A. Nicole. And just Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E. And you can also find me on my website site at BernadaBaker.com. B-E-R-N-A-D-A-B-A-K-E-R.com. Miss Sheree, where can we find you? I've been sent you a friend request. You haven't accepted it, Dr. Baker. <laughs> I'm no good. I am no good. You know what? Typically, I'm at the max for friend requests. So I always... Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> I didn't know if you were at the max or not. I know you guys are um, very beautiful uh, women of color. I am so very proud to be a You guys make me proud to be a woman of color. I'm glad to be in your culture <laughs> included. Uh, Ms. Sheree, where can we find you at? You can find me right here on Facebook at Sheree Young. Um, Sheree Young. And then you can also find me on my like page, Your Christian Diva Show. And then you can catch me on Instagram at Your Christian Diva Show. You can also catch me on YouTube. Catch me on YouTube. Please go to my YouTube. Subscribe to me. Hit that notification button at Christian Diva 09. Not Your Christian Diva on YouTube, just Christian Diva 09. I'm with your granddaughter on uh, uh, Famous because when I see you on YouTube, I get excited. I'd be like, look at my friend. <laughs> I think you're famous. So, ladies. We're going to take one last break and then come back with God Conversations. Don't let the mask inhibit your style. Go to www.foxylips01boutique.com and order our line of matte lip gloss in a variety of shades, colors, and blades with no mask transfer. And yes, we even have a line of vegan lipstick. Order today at www.foxylips01boutique.com. Use order code UHURU for a 20% discount off orders of over $25. Go to www.foxylipso1boutique.com today. And we're back. I am Yahura Wenji. Thank you again for joining me on the podcast. This part of the show is where I was uh, impressed by God to share notes and thoughts from my personal journal. So what I do is when I'm having an extremely difficult time and words and scriptures escape me, I write down what I want to say to God. And he inspires me when answers through any type of thing, people, ideas, thoughts. I may hear a song. Um, this conversation was about feeling like I'm in a perpetual cycle of starting over. Um, I had gotten to the end of my road. Um, I want to tell you, um, I had some prophecy over my life uh, ever since I was a little girl. 
And uh, I got so tired of hearing people say, oh, God's going to use you. Oh, you're going to uh, be great. And my life was in a tailspin. My relationships were not working. And most importantly, my relationship with myself wasn't working. I had been a mother, a daughter, a sister, um, all these things, all these titles I wore, but I did not know who I was. And more importantly, I had forgotten or felt like I'd forgotten who God was. And God reminded me, um, you're trying to move things too fast. It takes a time for prophecy to come to life. Don't throw away prophecy. Don't throw away what you were told by God. Don't give up on yourself. These are the things that he gave me. I remember one day I was having a, a moment of depression that lasted all night. And I heard God tell me to get up. And I told God, I, I can't give up, get up, nor do I want to. Let me just lay here. I remember God saying, he's going to lay here with me. I cannot believe that the God of this universe, the creator of all things, would lay in depression with me until I got the energy and the motivation to get myself up. He didn't empower me. He didn't make me get up. He laid with me in it. Well, you might say, well, that's impossible. That's not what God does. But I'm reminded of David. He says that God told him, if you make your bed in hell, he's right there with you. So let me remind you that wherever you are, no matter how low you are, are in life, God is with you and he will strengthen you to get up and move forward. Thank you guys for watching the Roll Call Freedom Podcast. Thank you to everyone who watched and commented along the way. Thank you to especially to my guests, Sheree Young and Dr. Bernarda Baker. Be sure to like my Facebook page, Roll Call Freedom. You can also search This Is Culture Network and see some of the other shows being produced on our network. network. Tell your friends and family they can listen to Roll Call Freedom Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and on Fridays by simply searching Yuhuru Wenji, U-H-U-R-U-W-I-N-G-I or Roll Call Freedom Podcast. Thank you again, my loves. I'll be here same time, same place next Monday, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Till then.